Amen. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. I'm Stu, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're going to begin a new series this morning on the I Am Sayings of Jesus from the Gospel of John. We're going to look at chapter 6 this morning. And uh, if you do have a, your Bible open, just open it up and keep it in chapter 6, because we're going to be looking at sections from the beginning and the end of the whole chapter here. I'm going to be reading uh, verses 22 to 40, but in the sermon, be referencing uh, most of the chapter. John 6, please stand for the reading of God's Word. John 6, verses 22 to verse 40, this is the Word of God. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. When they said, when he, then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread to eat from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Amen. Heavenly Father, we take up this, your word. We pray you would speak to our hearts. Help us to hear your voice and to respond in faith. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, the words, I am, again, that we're studying here in this series, are used in seven sayings in John's gospel, each time telling us something about Jesus, about his ministry, his identity, and uh, at the beginning of verse 35, we hear an echo of how God describes himself in Jesus' description. God describes himself in Exodus 3, verse 14, as I am, and uh, other descriptions that are similar in the Old Testament. R.C. Sproul said it this way, 
There is, referring to John 6, there is a thinly veiled reference back to the sacred name of God when Jesus referred to himself with this language, ego eimi. And that's the little Greek phrase that we're going to be studying here, ego eimi, I am. Uh, these Greek words in, from John's gospel translated, actually the reason he connects it with Exodus chapter 3 is there's a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And sometimes we're not sure exactly, well, how exactly should that Hebrew be translated into our language? But uh, at least the people of Jesus' day uh, had a sense that this is the way to translate it. And so it's that exact same phrase is used in the Greek version of the Old Testament. It's a reminder in that place and many other places that Jesus is not just a man, but Jesus is claiming something much more, much more. Uh, one of the texts that has an I am in it, but is not one of the seven, it comes in John chapter 8. And Jesus makes it abundantly clear to the religious leaders uh, who he claims to be. Jesus says that Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And they don't understand how this is possible. Uh, Abraham's day would have been roughly 2,000 years before Jesus. And then Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. Before Abraham was, I am. Same words, same concept. They heard the echo of Exodus 3. Jesus was claiming an eternal divine identity, and they knew it. And so they picked up stones, believing that Jesus had blasphemed, and by claiming to be God, and they were preparing to kill him for blasphemy. And so this claim that comes to us very plainly in this text is echoed through the seven sayings, and it all, again, comes from a simple statement of God's identity as the great I am. And so this claim, the foundation of each of the sayings, as we understand his identity, he is God the Son, and we learn much more about, more about his ministry. And so we'll look at each of these things, and in turn, beginning with John 6.35, trying to understand more of the setting in which this statement is made, the, the sense of what Jesus means by this, and then the significance. What is the significance in this case today that Jesus says, I am the bread of life? And then we'll look at it in those three parts. As I said, if you have your Bible open to chapter 6, keep it open because we're going to kind of walk through a few things here. Earlier in the chapter, in uh, chapter 6, Jesus has taught and he's fed the crowd. This is the feeding of the 5,000 with uh, five loaves of barley bread and two fish. And after feeding the people until they're full, we're told, and this is the emphasis, boy, they ate until they were full, uh, they gather up the leftovers and they find that there are uh, 12 baskets left over. And so this is one of Jesus' great miracles that he does uh, on more than one occasion. Now, some people nonsensically think that this was a, not a miracle of multiplication, but uh, a, a miracle of generosity, a miracle of sharing. And uh, you'll hear this in some churches. That what happened actually was not that Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and it kept multiplying miraculously. What actually happened, you see, was when they saw the generosity 
of the young boy who gave the first loaves and fish that everyone said, oh boy, if he can share, I should share as well. And so everybody grabbed the fish and they grabbed the loaves and they gave them and they shared with everybody else. And there was so much sharing going on. It was a miracle of sharing. They not only had enough to eat, but they had 12 baskets left over. What do you think? Sounds pretty goofy, doesn't it? Uh, that a miracle of sharing. Well, that's not how it's presented at all. In no way is it presented like that. And so there is a modern sense we've been living with for over 100 years in the Western church of we've got to find a way to demystify the Gospels. We've got to find a way to show how the miracles really don't happen. It's just wishful thinking. Well, know this. If the miracles are not true, then certainly the authors of the Gospels are horrible liars or horribly deluded. And there is no reason to believe anything they write. This is just the simple fact, right? If they're making up stuff, then why do we read this book? Why do we trust it? Why do we believe anything that it says? Why would I trust anything that the Bible says Jesus said? Well, of course we shouldn't. And so the miracles are crucial to the, the truthfulness of the Bible. You know, John makes it clear in his account uh, that, that the people saw it, actually, and, and John records this in verse 14, is that the people, as they received the bread, they received it as a miracle sign. In fact, that's what they come back for. They, they, they got free bread. They didn't share. They got free bread from Jesus, and now on the other side of the sea, they want to get more free bread. Okay, it all makes sense if you just read it plainly. In fact, they believe this is a sign and a miracle so much, we're told in verse 15, that Jesus believes they might, quote, take him by force to make him king. Why would they do that? Because everybody shared with each other and he's really good at teaching people to share? No, because they saw a great sign. In fact, they're going to ask for another sign in the text that I read today. Show us, show us another sign, and Jesus sees right through it. Well, so after the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples get into the boat. Jesus meets them, by the way. And again, if, uh, if John is trying to write something believable, he's missed again because Jesus is walking on the water to catch up to uh, the disciples in their boat. Uh, how do you demystify that one? Jesus is walking on the water and coming into the boat, and they move on to the other side of the sea. And the crowds say, hey, our free food left. We need to go follow him if we want to have another good meal like we just had. And so they follow him to the other side of the lake. And this is where Jesus calls them out. Verse 26, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because of the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And so we get the sense in their recorded response that they're just trying to, they're trying to justify themselves. No, Jesus, that's not what this is about. No, we, uh, we, we, it wasn't about the food, really. Uh, and so they frame it in a different way. God gave Moses the sign of manna in the wilderness. That's a, that was a good sign. So you... Give us a sign. 
show us more bread from heaven. See, we're not just hungry. We want a sign from you, Jesus. And this is the setting, the lead up into the, the first of these powerful statements. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So what is the sense of this saying? What does Jesus mean when he calls himself the bread of life? And Jesus actually gives them the sense of the saying uh, in verses 32 and 33. Jesus explains, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And so that's, from our vantage point, that's pretty plain. Jesus is telling them what they need to know. Uh, Jesus is saying already, the Father has sent me, and I am the true bread that gives life to the world. But the people are still deaf and, they're, and, and blind uh, to Christ at this point. And so they ask him, again, with this description, give us this bread always. Give us this bread always. Verse 34. They still don't understand. So finally, Jesus becomes very, very plain in his statement, and this is the first of the I am statements. I am, he says, the bread of life. I am, Jesus says. And when we think about that, unpacking what is the sense of what Jesus is saying, you know, the, the bread was the symbol of what they really needed. It was the who of what they really needed. And so the manna, uh, or the bread from heaven was to point them to a greater bread from heaven, the true bread from heaven that wouldn't perish. It was to point them to Jesus. So Jesus says, I am the one who comes down from heaven, and I give life freely to the world. This is the offer of the gospel. There might be an echo of Isaiah 55, verse 1. We hid him freely giving life to the, to the world. Isaiah writes this, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. Come get the bread of life. Now, in Jesus' culture, again, bread was a staple of life, as well as many other cultures around the world. Uh, in other cultures, you know, there might be, uh, you know, the, the great staple instead of bread might be rice, or in some cultures it might be potatoes. Uh, there's this starchy staple that kind of keeps us going from day to day. And so some people have wondered, well, should we translate this if we go to different parts of the world? Should we instead say, I am the rice of life, or I'm the potato of life? And that, believe it or not, is a legitimate question of translation. It's a good it's a good question. This is, if this is the staple in your culture is something different, I don't know, what would be the staple here? The, the fries of life, maybe, right? It just doesn't sound the same, does it? No, it does not sound the same. And, and a part of the reason why we still say the bread of life is because there is a bigger description of what's happening in the scriptures here that connects this to the bread. And in fact, we're going to connect it again to the bread the way Jesus does in just a few minutes. Uh, Jesus says, I am the bread of life, this cultural staple. And so if you come to Jesus, your, your thirst is going to be quenched, and, and if you come hungry, you're going to go away satisfied. Bread, water, wine, 
Now, there's nothing much more basic. Okay, and that's the sense of what Jesus is saying. Believing in Jesus, coming to him in faith in the most basic way for the most basic thing you need, life. Jesus is that life. That's what he calls us to do, is to come to him and to find life in him. Very simple. Now, one of the things that helps us also to get the sense of what he's talking about is this connection with manna. And it's right here in the text. Uh, they, they talk about the, the bread from heaven, the manna that came down from heaven. And that was the sign that Moses gave. And the crowd says, uh, give us that, that sign, just like Moses gave that sign. And so it's good for us to think a little bit about uh, if Jesus is the true bread from heaven and the manna is to point us to Christ, what do we learn from that? How did the manna come? What did the manna teach? Well, okay, very basically, how did the manna come? Well, God had to provide it. This is the bread from heaven. They couldn't do anything to create the, the bread. This was manna was something that God had to do for the people, and God did it himself. You don't work for manna. God just gives it. And manna also comes daily. daily it's, it meets your daily needs. You, you couldn't hoard the manna. You couldn't keep a week's worth of manna. It would spoil. And the only time it didn't spoil was as you gathered before the Sabbath to get that day and another day's worth. That's the only time it didn't spoil. And then every other time, if you try to gather two or three or four days' worth, the rest will spoil. Daily bread. Daily needs. This is what Jesus offers and what Jesus provides. The promise of God in Christ is to meet your daily needs. And your future needs will be provided day by day as well. Jesus is reminding them that, he says, I'm the true manna, the true bread that comes down from heaven. I am the fulfillment of the manna that God gave through Moses. And so very simply, Jesus is the true, and he says, I am the bread of life. Jesus is the true source of sustenance. What you truly need. Um, that's always an interesting question. What do I need? What do I really need? There's your question for the week. What do I really need? Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that I want, right? But what do I really need? You know, I was thinking the other day I, about my car. I just, you know what I want in a car? I just want a car that works. That's it. I, it's not a big thing, right? I just want a car that works. Well, who wants a car that doesn't work, right? I mean, everybody wants a car that works, right? And I, I'm thinking, I'm so proud of myself. I don't want much. I just want a car that works. Yeah, we all want a life that works. We all want a house that works. We want a car that works. We want stuff that works, right? But is that what I really need? I don't know, for a car dealer's son, that's a hard thing to swallow. You know, of all the things I need, I don't actually need a car that works. No. What do you need? 
Think about that this week. What, do you, what have you convinced yourself that you not only need it, you deserve it? And Jesus is going to tell you over and over this week, he's going to tell you, I am the bread of life. I'm what you need. And I need to learn that in a deeper and deeper way. You know, the needs category, when you really, really get down to it, is very, very small. Food, clothing, shelter. Well, it seems small until you don't have it. And Jesus is reminding us that your need, in a final, in a cosmic sense, is very simple. Jesus is the real food. He is the real covering. He is the real shelter that you need. Believe in him. Jesus tells the crowd, and uh, the significance of the saying is, is given to us directly by Jesus. And there are just a couple of things that Jesus then highlights after he gives this powerful teaching. Listen to the promises of Jesus for those who see him as the bread of life and who believe in him. What are the promises? Verse 37, he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. (laughs) If you see Jesus as the true bread of life and you believe in him, you put your faith in him, Jesus says, when you come to me, I will never cast you out. That's a beautiful promise. In the book we read last year, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland reminded us of the doctrine of, we sometimes call this the doctrine of eternal security, where we talk about the perseverance of the saints, and that, that God in Christ is holding us fast. And salvation is not about how tightly I can hold on to God, but how tightly God is holding on to me. You can rest in that. He writes this in his book. He says, the text literally reads, the one coming to me I will not not cast out. Sometimes here, Greek uses two negatives piled on top of each other for literary forcefulness. I will most certainly never, ever cast out. That's the promise. When Jesus is your bread of life, when you believe in him, he will never, ever, in no way, cast you out. Rest in that. And Jesus doubles down, by the way, in verse 39, again, connecting your salvation and the security you have in the will of the Father. Verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. And so this is the way to find true security, to find it in the one who is all-powerful to save and to keep his promise. And there's another great promise here. Uh, not only is he going to hold you fast, but we're told uh, that he says, I will, I will raise them up. I will raise them up. And there's a sense in which God raises up people in this life, here and now. Uh, the, we see this in the Old Testament, the prayer of Hannah. 1 Samuel 2, many of the Psalms. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. But notice, this is not just any kind of raising that Jesus is talking about. Jesus says, I'm going to raise them up on the last day. And so this is a reference to the resurrection of the dead. Jesus is raising up those who believe in him on that last day, that day of judgment, on that day of resurrection. And by the way, we believe in the resurrection of the dead, right? 
We've been learning about that. We believe in the resurrection of the dead and that it is Jesus himself who has the power to save you as your bread of life and to raise you up on that last day, the day of judgment. And you can stand in that day when, when Jesus is your hope, your bread, your sustenance. So what is our part? And Jesus says that too. What is our part? Believe. That's it. Believe. Come to Jesus. Is it really that simple? Yes, it is. Jesus says, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's that simple. That's your part. And I want to say to you this morning, no one can believe for you. No one else can do your part. No one can come to Jesus for you. You must. So come to Jesus for bread, for life, for eternal life. In his book, Gentle and Lowly, Ortland also reminds us of what it means to come to Jesus. He writes this, We do not come to a set of doctrines, we do not come to a church. We do not even come to the gospel. All these are vital, but most truly we come to a person, to Christ himself. And today's passage reminds us of what that looks like. He invites us through this word picture to see him. For you today to see Jesus as your source of life, your source of daily sustenance, the only one who can fulfill your most basic needs in this life and in the life to come. In just a moment, we're going to affirm that Jesus is the bread of life, who does the Father's will, who can raise you up on the last day at this table. And as we come to this table, it's only for those who know that Jesus is my bread of life. The only one uh, who can come is one who says, all other hope I've cast aside and all of my hope is upon Christ. And if that is your hope today, he says, come to me. I will never cast you out. Look on me and believe. And I'll raise you up on the last day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the kindness you show us in Christ, uh, teach us this day to rest in him, to hope in him, to believe that Christ and Christ alone is who and what I truly need. We pray in his name, amen.